The title of this morning's message is Understanding Our Heart and How It Works. What I want to talk to you about this morning is how to understand what our heart is and how it functions. Understanding our heart can help us to change the way we approach making changes in our lives. Most of us, we want to see some kind of change somewhere in our life. It could be physically, it could be emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It really doesn't matter what we want to change because all change begins with belief. And belief is a matter of the heart. So what exactly is our heart? And where exactly does it reside? <laughs> is it in our spirit or is it in our soul? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, The Apostle Paul distinguishes for us the separate parts of us. He says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. You see, this scripture would be a little bit scary if it didn't have that second line. You see, if they're praying, God, please fix them, <laughs> then we can say, oh, I'm not sanctified. I'm not his. I'm not holy. I'm not. But he says, whatever it is we are, the faithful one is the one who brings changes. I love that Paul tells us that our Father, the God of peace, is our faithful keeper, who is right now sanctifying, guarding, and preserving us blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want you to see in this scripture is that the Apostle Paul understood that there was a difference between our soul and our spirit. And this difference really helps us with our understanding of what happened to us as salvation. For the longest time, as a young mother and a relatively new believer, I thought I was a forgiven sinner. And I was thrilled about it. <laughs> you see, that was my identity. I'm a forgiven sinner. I found out that was a problem. <laughs> you see, that wasn't the entire truth. I wasn't a forgiven sinner. Yes, I was separated from my sins, but even better than being separated from my sins was finding out that I wasn't actually a sinner anymore. <laughs> sinner was not my identity. It's not what I was. I had been changed. I had become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I had become a thing called a saint. I was a Catholic girl for a while. Saints were people who did special stuff. God calls all of his children saints, holy ones. That's who we are. That is what we are. So I found out God made me a saint. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what that looked like, what that meant. I just knew in my understanding I was called to be different. In my understanding, that meant I had to make myself different than what I was. But saints, it turns out, were actually made by God, not by doing good stuff or the right stuff or sacrificial stuff, but by believing in Jesus as my sacrificial substitute. Saints don't earn sainthood. <laughs> we don't earn our new identity. It's given to us. When I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sins and to save me from hell, an amazing thing happened. 
He did. <laughs> I didn't know all that he did, but I did know that he moved inside, and I knew it was him, and I knew that he was mine. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't understand how God accomplished this forgiveness and this new creation. I didn't really understand what had happened to me. I understood what had happened for me. I understood Jesus died for me. I did not understand that Jesus died as me. I did not understand that God <laughs> had put me inside Jesus and I died with him. I was crucified with Christ. I thought that was more like a theory. <laughs> I didn't know the reality of that truth. I didn't understand it. But as a new young believer, I tried my best to understand my King James Bible. Not an easy task. <laughs> to follow all of the rules. But the truth is, I didn't know how much I didn't know. So I just did my best to, to know Jesus, <laughs> to follow Jesus. Even if I don't understand everything in the book, I know Jesus. <laughs> Thank goodness my salvation isn't dependent upon a perfect theology or a perfect understanding of Scripture. It's dependent only on Jesus and his finished work. All we do to get saved is believe and receive. That's it. <laughs> and he comes in and he saves you. <laughs> For years, I believed I was working towards my perfection, working towards my full salvation. Because I was taught you're initially saved. You got to forgive you of your sins, but you're still a sinner. And so as you work and be good, God will sanctify you and you'll get the Holy Spirit. And then God will sanctify you some more. <laughs> and then you will become progressively like Jesus. I found that was a very difficult way to live. <laughs> because I could never make myself holy all the time. I could not make myself right all the time. I was always falling down. Look, you're a sinner again. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I didn't know how much I didn't know. And what we don't know does hurt us. I did not understand what Jesus and our Father had actually done to me, <laughs> not just for me. Jesus didn't just die for me. He died as me. Our Father, my Father, counts Jesus' death as my real death. It's not just a picture, it's a reality. He died as me. He took me into death with him so that sin itself and the power of sin could be completely obliterated in my life. I wasn't dying a little bit every day. <laughs> you don't die a little bit every day, you die all at once. <laughs> I died all at once in Christ Jesus when I received him. I don't have to die daily. There's nothing in me to kill. Sin was destroyed at the cross. So when we invite Christ to come into our quote-unquote heart, he comes in and he makes us new creations. And he applies our death to the old man, and then he raises us up through the same power of his resurrection to new life. Jesus died once for sin, so that we could die once to sin and be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus has already changed us 
into what God wanted us to be. You're not a work in progress. God made us already what he wanted us to be. He wanted us to be his child, his bride, his people, his. He wanted his people to be made holy and righteous and acceptable, complete and perfect in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Where? Well, we know it's not on the outside. <laughs> it's on the inside. My spirit man, my true self, my true heart, that's where this change took place. The new us is already what God wants us to be. Most of the body of Christ does not believe that. We ourselves often have a hard time believing that. Now, if this is true, and it is, that we are already what God wants us to be, then why are so many believers working so hard at becoming holy, righteous, acceptable, and perfect? It's because they believe they are what they do. So if we fail, we feel like a failure. If we sin, we feel guilty and condemned, which means then I feel the need to be punished. So I beat myself up for days at a time. That was me. I lived that way. I was a good scourger. I was beating myself up all the time. <laughs> you will be different. You will be different. It never worked. My heart, my mind, will, and emotions wanted to be what God wanted me to be. I never knew I already was. <laughs> I already had been made a new creation. I had already been made holy. Doing holy doesn't make holy. <laughs> Jesus makes holy. When believers are struggling in some area of their life, they tend to feel like there's something really wrong with who I am. And if they could just change themselves, then God would be happy with them, and then they would be happy with themselves. The only problem with this thinking is that it depends on false assumptions. You see, the first false assumption is that the problem is who we are who and what we are. If that's my problem, I'm in a world of hurt. You see, that was my problem before Jesus. There was something really wrong with who and what I was. I was a sinner. But he killed me off and started over. And now I'm a saint. <laughs> so there's no longer anything wrong with who and what I am. The second false assumption is that we think we have the power to change who and what we are. The whole world thinks they have this power. I will change who and what I am. You may get a little bit of behavior modification success. Sinners are sinners, unless Jesus changes who and what they are. Saints are saints because Jesus turned them into saints. He made us. We don't have the power to make ourselves acceptable. We don't have the power to make ourselves right with God. We don't have that power. It has to be given to us as a gift. Doing that which is good doesn't turn us into goodness. It makes our life better, but it doesn't change our being. And doing bad things doesn't turn us into badness. It just makes life harder. <laughs> so our doing does not and cannot make us who we are or who we think we want to be. God makes us who we are. God, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, has given us 
past tense, has given us, as a gift, a brand new who and a brand new what. <laughs> who we are is his, his child. And what we are is true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says this, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love the fact that he said true holiness. He says it's real. <laughs> it isn't something you manufacture. It's real holiness, a real transformation, a real sinlessness. That's how he has already, past tense, created me. Here the Apostle Paul is expressing this same truth. Do or be outwardly what God has already created you to be inwardly. God doesn't ask us to come up with anything on our own. <laughs> he fully supplies who and what we are and all that we need. You see, for the most part, we can't feel our spirit. And our brain sometimes has a really hard time with believing the truth of our new identity because we can't feel it. <laughs> if I'm holy, don't you think I would feel it? <laughs> so here the Apostle Paul tells us where we do and where we don't need to change. What did he say? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is a clear representation of what we understand as our whole heart. The word says that we should love God with our whole heart, or in other words, with all that we are. So part of our heart is spirit. That's where we get salvation, in our spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. God gives us his mind, he gives us his heart, he gives us his presence, he gives us his power. We got everything we need in the spirit. Okay, But we are not just spirit. A lot of times in scripture, it talks about the heart, having an evil heart of unbelief. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? God told me that one time. God, why aren't I seeing the miracles, the signs, and the wonders? He kept leading me to, you have an evil heart of unbelief. No, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Finally, he said, stop rebuking me. It's me. You do have an evil heart of unbelief. Not your true self, not my child, not my bride, but the stinking thinking where all the thinking and believing and feeling goes on. You believe on. You have unbelief. You believe you are unrighteous, unholy, unhealthy, unsatisfied, unworthy, un... He says, you have stinking thinking, and that's part of our heart. When the word, when the New Testament says noose, the mind, it literally says thoughts and feelings. See, when I say, talk about my mind, we think only of thoughts. And then it turns around and says heart, heart, cardia, the center of us. And see, we can see when we say the center of us, well, that's my spirit, Okay. But if God's talking about me having an evil heart of unbelief, where is that? <laughs> is that who I am? No. It's something I'm afflicted with in my thinking. My point is that sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish which of the two parts of us is talking, especially because of feelings. Now, if you're like me, when you go to the grocery store, <laughs> or a store you really like, <laughs> and you see things that you might like to buy, and you have this little, I should get this. And then you go, is that me, or is that you? Often we can't tell the difference between us and Jesus. And you know what? You're not supposed to be able to, in that sense. 
you are one spirit with him. Now, we do have to determine the source of the thought. <laughs> okay, is this Jesus talking or is this me talking? Because me and Jesus sound exactly alike. That's the hard part. You and Jesus in your head sound exactly the same. And you can only tell the difference, usually, by the character of the thought. And let's face it. Demonic thoughts are usually pretty easy to spot. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, what did that, where did that come from? <laughs> you know it's not you. You're offended that you even thought such a terrible thing. <laughs> you know it's not you. But then when we think good things, oh, that's not God. We need to learn to discern what is our natural mind, will, and emotions, heart, and our true self, which is spirit-filled spirit-filled with the presence of God himself. When people talk about their heart, they're usually referring to how they feel about something. And how we feel about something has everything to do with what we believe in our heart. Where is this believing taking place? Do we believe in our spirit before we receive Jesus? No. <laughs> so where is this heart? Where does it reside? Is it in my spirit or is it in my soul? And the answer is yes, because we are one entire being. Yes, it helps us to understand how we are made. God doesn't chop us up into pieces. <laughs> he says you're one living soul. And so this heart, the place of the heart, is where the truth of what's in us, the truth, when we believe in our heart, it's a belief that goes so deep, we can feel it. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart. Well, he's not talking about the spirit man, because he's not been renewed yet. Okay, But is the Holy Spirit involved? Oh, yes. That's the only way we come to Jesus, <laughs> is that he reveals to us that we need a Savior. So he convinces the place where we believe. The place where our spirit and our soul are one. He believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have a mouth and heart connection. When you say something you don't believe, <laughs> your heart goes, what? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> I was trying to minister to a lady one time about confessing the truth of God's word regarding healing. And she said, oh, I don't do that stuff. Oh, why not? It's the truth of God's word. It's about your new covenant. And she said, it feels like I'm lying if I say, I believe I am healed. I believe this, this belongs to me. I believe Jesus provided this for me. That feels like lying. You know what that tells me? She doesn't believe it. Her heart is not convinced. You see, when we say something we don't believe, we know it. And when we do say something we believe, we know it by how it feels. Now, when we're talking, we're not aware that we're looking, we're checking. <laughs> Am I good with what I'm saying? Am I good with what I'm saying? <laughs> but we are. Our brain is always doing that for us. So belief is something when it comes to the point where I not only have knowledge that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that if I receive him, he will come in and live inside of me. 
I now believe in my heart that it's actually true, already true. Believing does affect the way our heart feels. So when we talk about believing, it's not just something we know in our mind or accept as true. Believing is much, much more than mental assent. Belief is what happens in the very depths of who we are. I keep pointing to my chest because in our brain, this is where our heart is, <laughs> okay? And the truth is, this is where you feel emotion. When we lose a loved one, we don't go, oh no, we don't grab our head, oh, I'm in pain. No, oh, pain, hurt. Sometimes in your gut, oh, pain, hurt. We feel in our mind, will, and emotions to the very depths of who we are. That's the difference between belief. It affects us to the point where it affects our emotions. And just understanding mental assent, which means, I believe this is true. There are people who go, yeah, I believe Jesus probably is the Son of God. Yeah, he was a real person. Whether or not he can save me, I'm not so sure about that. They have knowledge, but they haven't had enough knowledge to get them to the point where they believe that they need him. Belief is where everything changes. Mental assent can say without emotion. Yes, Donald Trump is our president. <laughs> but if we asked both a Democrat and a Republican to say, yes, Donald Trump is our president, both of their responses would be charged with emotion, and we would be able to tell which was which by how they said it. Because political beliefs, <laughs> we identify. It's not just, yeah, I believe this party is better than that party, or I just don't like him personally, blah, blah. Very nonchalant. No belief involved in that. But when you start talking politics with people, you will see what they believe. <laughs> okay? And they feel it down into the depths of their heart. They identify that is what I am. They make their own identity. And you cannot hide what you believe. So, what we believe to be true in our heart, the deepest part of ourself, will produce corresponding emotions. Often when a believer talks about what Jesus has done for them, they unexpectedly find themselves in tears. I know Papa doesn't like to sometimes get up and talk because halfway through his little talk, he's crying. And he prefers not to. <laughs> but why do those tears show up? Because we believe to the very depths of who we are that Jesus is my Savior, my Jesus is good to me, and we just cannot hold back. It affects our emotions. What we believe affects our emotions. Because what we deeply believe is true, it will produce corresponding emotions. God has created our brains in such a way that belief and emotion are married. Most of the memories that you can recall quickly have great emotion in them. That's how God anchors them in our brain. Now, we think all of our emotions are actually, you know, down here in our heart, our physical heart, but they're all actually all happening up here in our head. <laughs> so that's probably why God told the Jews when they were writing the New Testament that mind meant thoughts and feelings. Heart was feelings and thoughts, that they are so interconnected you really can't separate them. And that's why it's so hard to change beliefs. Beliefs are anchored in our mind and in our heart by emotion. 
And the bottom line is, it is hard to act contrary to how you feel. Why would we be able to distinguish who is a Republican or a Democrat by how they say, yes, Donald Trump is the president or my president? <laughs> they find it very hard to say something contrary to what they believe. So if they don't feel like Donald Trump should be our president, <laughs> they're going to feel that. And it's going to come out in their words because we have that mind heart connection. And so we find it's very hard to act differently than we feel. And what happens with us is too many Christians are letting their feelings tell them what's true. They let their feelings lead them in the wrong direction. And they don't try to fight against those feelings because it's hard. They have beliefs that are contrary to what their mind is saying they should do. They haven't learned yet to not trust all of their feelings. <laughs> feelings always feel true, even if what you believe is wrong. <laughs> Your feelings always think what you think and believe is true. They have no way to distinguish if what you believe is actually true. So that's why we can't trust our feelings. Feelings just reveal to us how deeply we believe something. The belief is something we accept as true, even if it isn't. I want you to see a chart that I created. I found a chart like this online, and so I changed it to suit my needs. <laughs> I think this illustration helps us understand what our heart is and how it functions. Now, I made this chart based on how psychologists and psychiatrists understand the way human beings function mentally. So here's my table. On this first column, that is the flow chart of what actually happens on the inside of us. Our thoughts are in the place of our mind. They're conscious thoughts. We can look at them. Do I like this thought? No, don't like that thought. Throw that out. <laughs> when we accept thoughts as true, we receive them. We identify that they are true. They become conscious beliefs. There's now an emotion attached to that. This is how it starts. Things we really believe, <laughs> like Jesus is my savior, there's no way you can talk me out of it. That's the core belief. And core beliefs almost always have to do with ourself or God. Only the Christian psychologist will acknowledge that our basic core beliefs include our, how, what we think about God. But our core beliefs will always revolve around what we think about ourselves and what we think is true or not true about God. Core beliefs are subconscious. See, now I know I believe in Jesus, but I don't understand how deeply I believe in Jesus until I start talking <laughs> or worshiping. My heart will bear witness. My Mind will and emotions will bear witness to what I'm saying. That's what we do in worship. <laughs> but we can't see all of our subconscious thoughts. We can look into our, what we, our conscious brain and say, I, that's a bad thought, put that out of there, cast down that vain imagination. But we have thoughts and beliefs, we have beliefs, core beliefs, that we've been picking up all the days of our life. A lot of them are not true. <laughs> okay, so this is how the psychologists know our brain actually functions. We have core beliefs, and a core belief always has emotion attached to it. Now, to change a core belief, 
if I think I'm bad. And I really hate feeling bad that I'm bad. And I want to change my thoughts about being bad. I have to have faith. This is what they call it. It's not what we call it. And they look at that feeling. Yes, this makes me feel bad. How do I get rid of this bad feeling? So they tell people, just look at that bad feeling and decide if it's true. <laughs> well, if you're feeling it, you already believe it's true. That's the problem. So they, what they do is they tell people, look at that bad feeling, decide if it's true. If it's not, tell it to be different. <laughs> because you want to decide who you really are. Now that doesn't sound a little bit crazy, but the truth is this is how our brain works all of the time. Our brain is always looking for what we believe is true about our identity. We live out of what we truly believe. We don't live according to knowledge. If we all lived according to knowledge, we'd be the perfect weight. <laughs> we'd have a perfect savings account because we'd make all the really intelligent decisions that we know we should make. But what happens to us? Well, we feel different. <laughs> and when those feelings say you need to have Starbucks coffee <laughs> with all the sugar, because that makes it really good. <laughs> so we make decisions based on how we feel and what we believe. What I wanted you to see here is that we, as normal everyday people, we look at our thoughts and say, well, that is our mind. We look at our emotions and we say, well, that is our heart. And Christians know there's a third part. We are spirit. And the scripture talks about mind, heart. We don't necessarily know what it means unless you look at the context. You have to look at the context. And you have to know the truth of that you are three different parts. And that if I have an evil heart of unbelief does not mean I am an evil heart of unbelief. <laughs> it means I have to change my thinking. <laughs> you see the last bracket? All of this is in Christ. That's important. Okay? Not only does Jesus live in us, we live in him. We live in him. We are in him. He gives us our identity. We can look at our conscious beliefs and examine them to see if we agree with them. Because what we usually do as Christians, we look at the Word of God and we say, I believe this. Does this go along with what God says I should believe? And so we, we're always fine-tuning our beliefs. And so we usually understand this kind of conscious thinking as taking place in what we call our mind. And that which is our conscious mind can be changed fairly easily if we are presented with a different point of view that we like better. For example, I like to watch murder mysteries. Not the icky, icky, creepy, demonic stuff. <laughs> I like the good old-fashioned whodunit. <laughs> I like the Hallmark version of murder mystery. <laughs> I like the mystery part, not the murder part. I don't want to see the murder, I just want somebody to find somebody dead and figure out who did it. <laughs> I like the fact that the bad guys always get caught, and justice always prevails. I don't go to movies that have bad endings. No, justice must prevail. <laughs> Righteousness must be done. I like that. That's how I want it to be. So I like these murder mysteries. My husband, on the other hand, does not. 
okay? <laughs> he believes murder mysteries are not good for you. They're not good entertainment. <laughs> he will tease me as he's walking through the living room. You're studying murder again. <laughs> and I say, no, I'm not. I am enjoying the mystery. I need to find out who done it. I need to see righteousness and justice brought forth. I like the good parts. He goes, you're studying murder again. <laughs> My opinion and belief that the old-fashioned murder mysteries are simply good entertainment does not change his opinion and belief about old-fashioned murder mysteries. Now, this difference of opinion, which is actually a difference of belief, doesn't cause either one of us to feel bad. But it could. If I had a core belief that his disagreeing with me made me feel bad for some reason, that would indicate to me that I believe something that isn't actually true about myself. If I had a core belief that said, if my husband disagrees with me, then there must be something wrong with me. Or, if my husband disagrees with me, then there must be something wrong with him. <laughs> and if there's something wrong with him, then why in the world did I marry him? There must be something wrong with me. <laughs> Now that sounds kind of silly, right? But that is how our brain works. Our brain is always trying to figure out, are you good? Are you worthy? Are you righteous? Are you acceptable? And our brain always looks to what we feel. Now that sounds like a really crazy scenario, right? Well, let me tell you a true story. <laughs> this happened years ago <laughs> when I still had fibromyalgia and I was working full time as a secretary. One Friday night, I came home, and I had dinner with my husband, like always. But I was really tired, <laughs> and I didn't feel like cleaning up the kitchen. So I just partially cleaned it up and left the dishes for the next day. Well, a little while later, without saying anything, my husband decides to go do the dishes for me. Wasn't that nice? Shouldn't I be delighted that my husband wants to do the dishes for me? Of course! Was I? No. <laughs> and I told him so. Don't do the dishes. Leave them alone. <laughs> He's kind of looking at me like, what? Just leave them. I will take care of them tomorrow. Just leave them. He's like, but, but, no. Do not do those dishes. <laughs> now, is this logical? Obviously not. <laughs> so what was happening to me? What really was wrong with me? Well, evidently, my husband inadvertently ran into a subterranean core belief that made me feel bad. And that day, there was no way he was going to do dishes if he wanted peace in his house. <laughs> and this didn't happen just once. This happened over and over and over. He would start to do the, no, leave the dishes alone. <laughs> why? Because I want you to. I didn't know why I wanted him to. I just knew, I don't want you to do the dishes. Leave them alone. Sometimes <laughs> he did the dishes anyway. And sometimes he didn't. But whenever he did do the dishes, I was mad. <laughs> I didn't want you to do the dishes. <laughs> Why was I mad? Because I was hurt. Anger is always a reaction 
to feeling hurt. So why didn't I want him to do the dishes? Because it made me feel bad about myself. But I didn't know why it made me feel bad about myself. Somewhere in my subconscious, it's here and here really, I believed he was trying to shame me for being lazy. I'll show you who's not lazy. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> or it could be that somewhere inside of me, I felt like a failure as a wife. Because, you know, good wives always have a tidy kitchen. And I know this because my mom always had a tidy kitchen. We learn things as we grow up that we don't realize we've learned. So if I don't have a tidy kitchen, then I must be a bad wife. And if he secretly thinks I'm a bad wife, then why are we even married? That sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it? This is how people end up fighting over nothing. Because somebody has run into somebody's core belief that you're trying to make me feel bad. <laughs> this really does sound ridiculous. Yes, it does. But this is what happens to people all the time. This is how your brain actually works all of the time. Mark's intentions to be kind and helpful did not feel kind and helpful to me. It wasn't because there was something wrong with Mark doing the dishes, but it was because somewhere in me, my core beliefs that were hidden in my subconscious were telling me, you must be bad. You must be lazy. You must be a bad wife. Your brain is always looking for what you believe you are. And if I believe, well, if I'm lazy, I'm bad. <laughs> if I'm not a good wife, I'm bad. Your brain is always looking for what you believe you are. And the foundation of those core beliefs is what we call identity. What our brain does is it looks to find what we already believe about ourselves. And unfortunately, our brains have a massive amount of carnal thinking in them. <laughs> and the carnal thinking believes things like, I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what happened to me. If bad things happen to be me, it must be because I am bad. If I don't have something, it must be because I am bad. And those core beliefs, simply what they do is they send up little flares of emotion. When I was going, don't do the dishes, I had no idea why I didn't want him to do the dishes. My core belief was going, make it stop, make it stop. <laughs> we actually live out of who we believe we are. So our brain will automatically look for our identity. Am I good today or am I bad today? And the way we usually try to fix ourselves is to have other people change their behavior. Everybody does this. I will be just fine if you will stop. <laughs> You're in my way. Why are you in my way? I would be just fine if you were not in my way. <laughs> we always want other people to fix us. We want the other spouse to apologize to make us feel better. We want them to do something to make us feel better. We want other people to change, to make us happy, to give us peace. This idea of making other people change so that we feel better doesn't work. It didn't work with the dishes. <laughs> and it doesn't work in other places that have the same kind of reactions where we're reacting to things and we don't even know why we're reacting them. 
Those reactions are caused by core beliefs that somewhere inside of me, I must be bad. The problem that day was my deep beliefs regarding my own identity. And if I lived according to the way my mind and heart naturally function, everyone in my life would have to change in order for me to be happy and peaceful. My natural thinking and believing would never have to take responsibility for my own heart and happiness. Years ago, I had a friend who was having marriage problems. She told me all the things that were wrong with her husband. She didn't mention any of the things that were wrong with her. <laughs> because she believed, if he will change, we will be happily married. The problem is, he needs to change. You know what you find in every single divorce? They're always looking at each other going, you need to change. <laughs> you are making me crazy. No. You see, that's not taking responsibility for our own heart, what our own heart believes. Other people only run in to our beliefs, only poke us with sharp sticks <laughs> that may not even be sharp to the person using it. My problem was that I didn't really know my own identity in Christ. In my heart, in my subconscious, in the place of my deep belief, where belief is married to emotion, I was still believed that I was either good or bad, right or wrong, clean or unclean, acceptable or unacceptable, based on what I did or didn't do. I was the one making the judgments that day against myself. If you don't do the dishes tonight, you're lazy. Therefore, you are bad. God wasn't making judgments. Mark wasn't making judgments. But I was miserable because I was making judgments. I believed that if I was lazy, then I was bad. If I didn't keep the kitchen tidy, then I was bad. And feeling like I'm bad makes me feel really bad. <laughs> and I don't like to feel really bad. So my brain comes to my rescue. Yay! It's not your fault you feel bad, it's his. <laughs> he should change. <laughs> this idea, this thing that our brain said, if he would just leave the dishes alone, I would be fine. You see what we do when we do that? We make somebody else responsible for our heart, our happiness, and our peace. We become in bondage to their behavior. Every time they don't act the way I like, I feel bad. So stop acting whatever it is you're doing, making me feel bad. It's wrong. It doesn't work. It's not true. It doesn't solve anything. The only problem with this plan of making other people change to make us happy <laughs> is that then I would never get rid of the trigger, which was in my deep-seated belief. Natural thinking says, just change the outside and leave the inside alone. Don't deal with how you feel. The brain of a believer often does the same sort of thing. When we feel bad because we've sinned or failed, we try to change the way we feel by changing what we do instead of what we believe. Many believers go to God and say, Oh God, I will try harder. I feel so bad. I will read my Bible more. I will pray more. I will go to church more. Oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, please don't leave me. Oh God, please don't be mad. And all other kinds of old covenant thinking. <laughs> Too many new covenant believers haven't renewed their thinking to the new covenant truths of who we really 
and all that's available to us in our union with Jesus Christ. Instead, we let bad feelings about ourselves tell us who we are based on our natural thinking. Feelings of condemnation tell us we are utterly rejected. Feelings of guilt tells us we are not acceptable. And feelings of shame tell us we are without worth and value and everybody knows it. All of these thoughts, these feelings and beliefs are based on natural thinking. The foundation of which is, I am what I have done and I am the judge of what is true. And because I am the judge, I believe that what I feel is the truth. It's all based on our natural senses and understanding. Now, in the place of the mental flowchart I have up here, where it says the word faith comes into play, for unbelievers, this is where they're told to stand back. You feel bad about yourself. Is that the reality? Is that the truth? They say, if it's not true, go ahead and create your own new identity. Now, we look at that and go, what? <laughs> you see, the truth is, we do decide what identity we accept. They are told to tell themselves things like, I am a good person, I am a good person, I am a good person. Why? To overcome all the feelings of feeling like you're a bad person. Doesn't work. They believe if I say, I am successful enough, I am successful, then eventually I will be successful. I'm in the process of recreating myself into being what I want to be. And they end up saying things like, I can do all things by myself. No, you can't. They are taught that they get to decide who and what they are, what they really are in their soul, in their spirit. It's the same old believe in yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be a self-made man or woman. When I was looking at this, how our brain functioned, it was then I realized just how important understanding our true identity really is. People without God, the unbelievers, have no substance or reality behind the identities they create. They think they're trying to become something. There is no goodness in their spirit, no matter how long they tell themselves they're good. Without Jesus, they have no source of goodness. It's a big fat lie. <laughs> they are like old covenant believers who thought they could become righteous by following the rules. They believe they could make themselves approvable to God. But thank God Almighty, it's not true. We have been made, past tense, finished. We have been made righteous. We have been made holy. We have been made acceptable. We have been made His by Him, not by us. We did not save ourselves. Our decision to receive Christ did not save us. All we did was give Jesus permission to save us. Go ahead, Jesus, save me. We didn't do the saving. He did it all. Too much of the church is ignorant of who she is. You see, we start from the finish line. You see, in this flowchart, they tell people to start at the top and work their way down. Become who you want to be. But Jesus says, no, you start at the bottom. You find out who you really are, and you live out of that. You don't have to create yourself. You don't have to be what you think you ought to be, because you simply need to find out who I've already made you to be.
We start from the finish, and then we work that out into our life by cooperating with the Holy Spirit. If we think we're creating holiness or creating goodness, that we're in the process of becoming, then on any given day, you will be bad. Because you will fail in your performance, and you will believe, I am what I have done. But when we understand the reality of who we are, it changes everything. The only way our heart, our mind, will, and emotions heart, could believe such a thing, that we actually are already approved by God. I am already made the righteousness of God. The only way we could ever believe such an extravagant thing is if it was given to us as a gift. That I wasn't required to do anything or be anything in order to receive. Our hearts will only believe that we could be perfect, righteous, and holy if there was somebody powerful enough to turn us into that. And that is exactly what God did. The only way our heart, our mind, will, and emotions could believe such a thing would be if we understood our Father's amazing grace, his completely unmerited favor, his completely, absolutely free loving kindness, a gift of a brand new who is completely finished. A brand new who and a brand new what. <laughs> I am what he says I am. If my feelings tell me something different than this, then my heart, my deep-seated beliefs, need to be established with grace. Hebrews 13.9 says this, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, because... It is a good thing that the heart, our mind, will, and emotions, our deep-seated beliefs, be established how? With grace. That is the only thing that will keep us out of crazy arguments <laughs> because something has made us believe that we are bad. Be established with grace, not meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. The Jewish believers were still trying to keep themselves right with God and make themselves more spiritual by following dietary laws. So what this is saying is it is understanding the truth that everything God is and has has been made available to us only through his grace, through his son. And that includes our brand new identity. The rest of the world is trying to create themselves in the likeness of who they want to be. They want to be good. They want to be loved. They want to be blessed. But they have a dry well. You see, our well is our identity. There's nothing in their well to save them or change them or help them. They have no true identity. The only thing inside of them is darkness and ignorance. They are truly lost and empty. They don't know who they are. But our Father has given us a brand new identity as a gift. It's complete, it's whole, it's healthy, it's blessed, and it is so loved, and it is so real. Our well is full of power and the presence of God. We live out of what we truly believe we are. What is real in our heart? What is real in your heart? Your mind, will, and emotions? Is that what's real? Is it his grace, his goodness, his life within us? Are you, like so many believers, living out of a false sense of identity? 
Do you believe you are bad, alone, forsaken, rejected, without help, without strength, and without love? I have really good news for you if you do. You have a father who himself is love, who has already given you everything you need to live the life God wants you to live. We must let our heart, our mind, our will, and our deep-seated emotions be established in his truth and his grace of what we have already been made. Now, how on earth do you do that? (laughs) By meditating on the truths in God's word that declare to us what the Father has already made us. He has already made us righteous. He has made us acceptable. He has made us powerful, beautiful, and real. You see, the world is looking in a dry well. There's nothing inside of them to change who they are. They can change their mind for a while, but they cannot change who and what they are. They're a sinner. There's no changing a sinner into anything else. You can have a good sinner. You can have a bad sinner, but they're still a sinner. That's not what we are. We have been made a saint. We are not becoming more like Jesus in our spirit and in our heart. What we're doing as believers is we're finding out the identity we're already finished. Jesus finished the work of salvation. I cannot add anything to salvation. But the truth is Jesus finished the work of me. I am not becoming more holy and more righteous. He gave me absolutely everything finished. Now I take what he's given me and I live out of that belief. Because you know what? You will. Because you live out of what you really believe. So when those bad emotions start coming up, when someone's doing the dishes and you don't want them to, (laughs) and you don't know why that makes you mad, (laughs) it's a flag that says you believe something that you're condemning yourself about. The last time I ministered, the following day I was laying in bed, I had this little icky feeling. It's like, oh, I know that icky feeling. (laughs) That icky feeling says, you could have done better. You could have studied harder. You could have prayed in the Spirit longer. Now why is that icky feeling there? Because somewhere inside of me, I don't realize that I am finished. That I am good enough the way I am in me. Now, am I learning to walk out who I am better? Absolutely. But see, that icky feeling says, you don't completely believe that you're good enough just the way you are. You don't completely believe that you are completely right with God, that God isn't mad that you didn't do better. You see, that's what it was. Oh, I could have done better. I could have studied harder. If I just, God would be happy with me more happy. He'd be more happy if I did things more. No, not gonna, no, he's not more, not gonna be more happy with who I am. Now, he can be more happy with what I do, but if I think I am what I do, I get into trouble really quickly. Because if I think I am what I do, when I fail, I'm a failure. And we live out of what we believe. That's why it's so important for us to embrace the identity that our Father has made us sons of God, that he has empowered us with himself. The Christian life is not about becoming something better. It's about living in the presence of God, spreading the truth that God is not mad. God is not trying to get people to become something different. He knows they are completely helpless. He wants to give them their identity. He wants us to embrace 
our identity more and more. The more I believe that I'm good enough just the way I am, those icky feelings will go away because they're based on something that's not even true. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am completely acceptable. And the truth is, so are you. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you that you give us everything, everything for life and godliness. You give us a new identity. You give us a new name. You give us a new spirit. You give us a new heart. And you fill us with yourself. And you give us all the promises of your word so that we can figure out who we really are. Father God, I ask you to open our eyes and our heart to understand who you have made us to be. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am made holy. I am acceptable. What you call me to is to grow in my understanding of all that you've already done and embrace these truths and let those truths change my life and the lives of others. So Father God, remind us, remind us who we really are. And I thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.